This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. My name is Marie LeConte. Labour leader Keir Starmer has announced that the party wants to abolish the House of Lords. In an interview with The Observer, he said that the public's faith in the political system had been undermined by successive Tory leaders handing peerages to lackeys and donors. Instead, a Labour government would strip politicians of the power to make appointments to the Lords, then eventually create a new elected chamber. As if on cue, Rishi Sunak has since faced calls to withdraw the whip from Baroness Moan following revelations that she appeared to have gained millions from the profits of a PPE company. Here with me today to discuss the never-not-embattled second chamber is journalist Esther Weber. Hello, Esther. Hi, Marie. So, I first became aware of you what feels like a hundred years ago when you were at the BBC covering the House of Lords. Could you tell me a bit about how you ended up there and what it was like to cover a topic most other political journalists usually ignore? Yes, well, it is kind of great that the House of Lords did some good in uh, bringing us together and many other friends who I know from Twitter. Yeah, how I came to cover the Lords was, I must say, back then I was working for BBC Parliament and uh, believe it or not, they had a journalist whose job was simply to cover the Lords, sometimes for a whole term at a time, as it used to be structured. And there is still someone who does that job for PA. And so when I started doing that, I was absolutely kind of baffled and fascinated because I had studied politics at university and I sort of thought I knew it all. And then all these sort of new procedures and ways of doing things kind of came to my attention. And I just started trying to understand it all from the beginning, I guess. And part of me kind of figuring that out was tweeting about some of the weird and wonderful things that happened in the House of Lords. And surprisingly, I found that some other people were quite interested in it too. I know that makes sense, and it, and it was some great tweeting. So is there something you learned in your years following the laws that you wish more people understood or knew about? Yes, I mean, I think the most common reason that people see the Lords in the news or in the headlines is probably to do with expenses, claims, or they see pictures of them at state opening of Parliament kind of wearing their fancy robes, and that is probably still the kind of enduring public image of the Lords. But I guess what I saw more of, and maybe too too much of, was in the sort of 2010 Parliament, which was very legislation heavy. Peers would sit very late into the night, kind of going through this legislation 
line by line. And that was where sort of a far more detailed scrutiny happened than usually than you saw in the comments. And that was something sort of new to me and just, uh, yeah, quite fascinating to watch. Yeah, no, that's entirely fair. And so do you, I'm actually very tempted to ask if you have any least favourite peers, but I feel like that's probably not something you can answer truthfully. So do you have any favourite peers by any chance? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fast. Like quite a lot of them are sartorial based. <laughs> Some real fashion icons in the Lords. I always think of the Labour peer Lord Campbell Savers, who not only wears it's not just a pinstripe suit, it's a three piece pinstripe suit <laughs> every day. And I think one summer it was so hot that he eventually took off his waistcoat. <laughs> and that, was, that was like a huge deal. And then among the women, Baroness Fuchs, a former Conservative MP, just always wears the most iconic outfits. And also she's very good at telling people to shut up, <laughs> um, which is quite an important quality in the Lords. But I guess one of the peers who I really enjoy for their kind of hinterland, as well as what they bring to the Lords in terms of contributions, is Baroness Mason of Ilton, who speaks a lot about health and disability issues. And I had no idea until I randomly Googled her that she was an athlete in her day and she was a Paralympian. And despite, you know, having this whole history behind her, she never really referenced it in the chamber and um, was just sort of out there doing the most. I think for what it's worth, probably one of my favourite moments in the Lords was a few years ago when Betty Boothroyd, the former speaker, was trying to make a speech on something, I can't remember what it was, and people kept trying to interrupt and she just snapped and went, oh, order! (laughs) And then kind of remembered that she has not been speaker for a very long time and also that was the wrong chamber. So like more seriously, so several governments over the years have tried to reform the Lords with shall we say, varying degrees of success. And why do you think it's such a hard place uh, to reform and such a tough thing to do? I think it is difficult, to say the least. Like, one of the big barriers is that it has to go through the Lords. And don't get me wrong, they love talking about themselves. It's (laughs) probably their favourite topic. But it's one of those things... It's kind of a little bit like Brexit in the sense that not everyone, but quite a few people after the Brexit result was clear, sort of accepted that it had to happen and it needed to happen because of this vote. But no one really knew what it meant and like how that would work in practice. And with the Lords, I think so many people across different parties agree that it needs reform, that it's too unwieldy, but it's really, really hard to get any agreement on what comes next. Everyone has their own kind of slightly different preferred version and that kind of stops things from moving forward. I remember one peer describing it to me 
as the Bermuda Triangle of politics. <laughs> and I always remember that because it it is just incredibly difficult to do. It's well, so actually then on this note, so what, what do you make of Labour's plans to abolish the laws in its current form? So I guess like to start with, do you think it's in any way doable or are they biting off more than they can chew? On a selfish level, I would really like that to happen because it would put the Lords back in the spotlight and we could (laughs) do some cool reporting. So I think there are a couple of layers to this. Like, on the one hand, the experience of the coalition government kind of should give anyone pause for thought because I think they saw just how difficult it was. And if you look at attempts over the last 12 years to pass a really, really modest reform, um, which would be removing hereditary peers, which is one of the enduring kind of really strange aspects of the Lord. They haven't even been able to agree on that. So those kind of lessons from history make it seem quite tricky. I think the thing that could potentially make it achievable is, so when Blair did his reforms of the Lords, it was like riding high on like the first wave of his victory. And when he was really in the ascendant and, you know, had come in to be this reforming government. And I think if the Labour Party had some sort of similar headwind behind them, then perhaps that would be something to kind of change the picture. Hmm. Well, actually, so that that kind of brings me to the perhaps slightly more difficult question, which is that, you know, according to you, should Labour try to switch to an entirely elected chamber? Like, Would that be a good idea? What would we gain from that and what would we lose? I have to confess, I feel a bit wary about the idea of a totally elected chamber. I think some of the arguments against it are it kind of, it means peers will be subject or senators or whatever would be subject to the same kind of electoral tug of war as MPs. That would sort of limit the kind of expert role of the chamber, which I don't want to say everyone in there. It's one positive element of the chamber, which is you do have these people who are not career politicians, but experts in a certain field, and that can have quite positive influence on legislation and debate. So that's kind of one aspect of it. On the other hand, I do think it does need to change. I think one sort of funny thing about working for BBC Parliament was when you join, you do a sort of crash course in learning all of the MPs off by heart so that you can name them on site. And with the Lords, that just isn't really feasible. (laughs) There are so many of them. And frankly, so many of them look the same. But it was made easier to recognise them and learn who they were because there was this hardcore subset of peers who took part and contributed to debates and were there kind of to do the work. 
and then loads of others who you just didn't see. And I think there needs to be something done about the kind of the absentees, if you like. And there are various different suggestions on how you could deal with that. A few things. The first one is that actually the, the way I learned some years ago the names of as many MPs and faces you know as I could was by playing sexy MP for a very long time, like quite obsessively. And actually, I kind of miss it as a website, <laughs> as a sort of parliamentary tool. Uh, it, it was really great on a, on a slightly different note. So uh, again, I know, I, and I don't expect you to have every single answer, but are there? So you know, if we were to fall short of kind of you know completely abolishing the House of Lords in in, in its current way, what would be reforms that one could do to maybe make it less scandal prone or you know more efficient or whatever else? I think one thing would maybe be to have a sort of minimum attendance level. I mean, there is an argument that that could introduce the opposite, so people just checking in but not actually turning up. But I think there are ways of kind of of enforcing that expectation. And I think if there were to be an elected element or a partially elected element then it would be worth having the idea of them being elected for a longer term than MPs so they're kind of not constantly in election mode or something like that and I think it would also be useful I do agree with ideas to actually reform the way they're appointed so to have some sort of oversight body saying, you know, we, uh, apart from HOLAC, which kind of just deals with the outcome of what Prime Ministers say they want, but to actually have a kind of earlier stage where the party even says if they agree with these nominations. So I think those, those are just sort of a few things, I think, which could which could potentially help. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. To flip kind of this on its head a bit, so do you think do you think there's anything actually the House of Commons could learn from the House of Lords in terms of procedure, behavior, in terms of sort of anything? Because again, I think even a lot of MPs are not necessarily always really aware of how everything works in the law. So is is there anything they could gain from being a bit more like them? I mean, yeah, I, I like as we sort of touched on before, I do think it is a shame perhaps that. So much of the nitty-gritty legislative work is either done by the Lords or in bill committees. I'm not saying everything should be on the floor of the House, but it would be sort of beneficial, I guess, for MPs to be more engaged in that side of things. 
I quite enjoy I don't think it would I don't think it would work in the Commons. But the um Lords is self regulating, so even though there's a speaker, they have no kind of formal like disciplinary or chairing powers really in the way that the common speaker does. So it's kind of like they all enforce the behaviour which is expected of each other. And that can be really harsh. Like sometimes it's peers telling someone to shut up. <laughs> um, but it also I think kind of creates a certain like feeling of like collective responsibility to uphold standards. Not saying that always works, but I'm just saying it's um it's maybe something the Commons could learn from. Mm. But that actually kind of reminds me of interviewing some laws for my first book. The, the one of them, one of the ones I was talking to, kind of arguing that actually the socialising is actually perhaps more interesting in the House of Lords because in the kind of I can't remember the name of it anymore, but basically the, the room where the Lords kind of get to socialise, there yeah. is just one very long table where you sit and you have your dinner and you kind of sit where there's space. So you know, quite often that can be next to a Labour peer, a crossbench peer, a Tory peer, etc. You don't really choose, whereas MPs are a lot more segregated by party, which obviously would always happen. But I think that that may be, that could be quite a good thing in terms of, you know, cross-party understanding and cross-party yeah. working. That would be my thing. Just make the socialising a bit more cross-party, I think, could be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe that's kind of true of the laws in general because they are, it is more usual for them to sort of collaborate cross-party on amendments to bills and things like that without kind of the whips having a total meltdown. And generally that's for a reason where something gets cross-party support. It's probably because there is a point to be made there. So Mm. that's also something I think maybe the Commons could learn from. Mm. And so I guess getting sort of like closer back to present day and kind of what's happening at the moment, is is there actually anything either happening at the moment in the House of Lords or kind of coming down the line quite soon that you're keeping an eye on and you think people should pay attention to? Well, I guess the big thing to flag, I mean, I should say I've been spending less time with the Lords recently, sadly, very sadly. (laughs) But I guess one of the big things is the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, and as we know, that's something the government insists it is going ahead with and is very controversial. And the Lords is precisely the place where you have not only Labour and Lib Dem peers with massive reservations, but also some Conservative peers as well. And they are saying you know, they are going to try and radically change or even block this from going through. And we I don't think I, we've really had that level of really staunch feeling since some of the Brexit, the original Brexit legislation, which was real kind of like hand-to-hand combat in the world. So a bit of a kind of throwback to those days. 
that's, yeah. I was about to say something to look forward to. I'm not convinced actually it's <laughs> something I'm looking forward to in any way, but, but here we are. And so I guess just finally, uh, what, you know, let's say, you know, I don't know, election in six months, Keir Starmer wins a majority of 150, abolishes the laws on the first day. What, what would you miss? What would you miss from the House of Lords? And what do you think people should miss, perhaps? I think, like, the serious and boring point is I would miss that level of scrutiny and attention, the sort of late-night votes, the line-by-line scrutiny. And I guess the less serious point is that I would miss the kind of random asides, like just all the hinterland stuff that really just enriches the place. I mean... I think there was a debate about veterinary regulations after Brexit or something, and this Labour peer, Baroness Farrington, revealed that she had a pet ferret. And and that (laughs) just kind of like, it was like, wow, when I went into work today, I was not expecting to write about (laughs) Baroness Farrington's pet ferret. Also, I feel like, isn't that a bit, I don't know, I feel like wearing the ermine, having a pet ferret, like there's something there, a bit Cruella de Vil or something. I'm I'm not sure there's something disquieting about this as a combination Uh, of, yeah. Yeah, so I I think I would miss that. And and I guess part of that is because maybe the Lords do think less attention is on them and they're less in the spotlight and therefore they're a bit freer and franker with with a lot of the things they say than the MPs who are obviously constantly under the microscope. Mm. No, that's very true. And I guess actually, turns out I lied. I do have a bonus question because I, as you saw, I asked Twitter if they had any questions they wanted me to ask you about the Lords. And there is one that did catch my attention from Molly Goodfellow. She she asked in a, in a sort of battle royale scenario, if all the Lords had a big fight and only one, uh, so, you know, came out victorious, who would it be? I mean, there's a temptation to go for one of the military peers, but I think, I don't know, I think I'd have to say Baroness Boothroyd. I don't think anyone (laughs) can can go up against her. Mm. She actually, fun fact, a few years ago during summer recess, she'd recorded her own out of office. And I can remember the exact wording, but it was so fun that my friend and I in the pub called her office repeatedly just to listen to the out of office again and again. Um, Amazing woman. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Esther. Thank you for coming on. And it was lovely talking to you. Thanks, Marie. Lovely to chat to you. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. For as little as £3 a month, you'll get access to episodes early and without adverts, as well as exclusive merchandise offers. This is Marie LeConte. Thanks for joining me in the Bunker. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Marie LeConte. The producers were Alex Reese and Jack Gerbertson, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with audio production from me, Jade Bailey. The group editor, Sandy Harrison, with music from Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>